0: would you like me to just listen or would you like me to problem solve? Sometimes we really just need, we just need a good listening to.
1: Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am so excited to share our guest with you today. You are absolutely. Going to love his wisdom and his energy. His name is Mark Lesser. He's a speaker, facilitator, workshop leader, and executive coach. He is the author of four books, including Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google, and a Zen Monastery Kitchen, and CEO of ZBA Associates, an executive development and leadership consulting company. He has helped develop the world renowned Search Inside Yourself program within Google and was director of the Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, the oldest Zen monastery in the Western world. He is here with us today to talk about his new book, which is available everywhere, Finding Clarity, How Compassionate Accountability Builds Vibrant Relationships, Thriving Workplaces, and Meaningful Lives. Mark, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is awesome to have you with us today.
0: Dr. Richard, it's a pleasure to be here with you.
1: I am so excited about the show. We were chatting a little bit before, and I just knew this was going to be a dynamite discussion. So uh, let's hop in the Mark Lesser time machine first and foremost. Let's go back in time. Tell us your superhero origin story. How did you get put on the path you're on today?
0: You, you know, there's, um, there's a variety of origin stories. One, one is... Uh, it all started when I was a freshman at Rutgers University in New Jersey, uh, minding my own business. But I was pretty—I I think of myself as having been pretty asleep uh, as a as a kid. But uh, finding myself at college and um, reading a book called *Toward a Psychology of Being* by Abraham Maslow. Uh, and that, that did it, or at least that and a few other things. But this, um, you know, that book in particular by Maslow was about a study that he did about what it was that, that there was a small slice of the population that seemed to be highly evolved, more in tune with their emotions, felt greater sense of joy and grief and we're just living their lives at a higher level. And I got, this was not me and that I was way over on the other end of the spectrum, but, but I want, I, that was something like, why, why wouldn't everyone want to be devoting their lives to be more evolved, more awake, more, more human. And, and that was, uh, there was some kind of deep inner resetting for me. And I ended up, uh, taking a one-year leave of absence from Rutgers. And, um, and that one year turned out to be 10 years living at the San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, you might imagine my parents were not thrilled about that. Um, but it, that, that really, I feel like that, that 10 years uh, uh, laid the foundation of for my life. And and the one other thing that was a surprise during that time was how important work was and that I kept being asked to take on leadership roles within the Zen Center, which really surprised me. Uh, But again, I was like, wow, these uh, meditation practice, mindfulness practice, awareness practice, and leadership, again, why isn't everyone doing this? It just made so much sense to me. And I ended up uh, going to business school, uh, starting and running a publishing company, and then a few years later, finding myself in front of Google engineers teaching mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and leadership and uh, and still I, I feel like um, uh, in some way i think I think Dr. Richard, that we are all you know we 're all business people and we 're all Zen students in that um, you know, we, we all need to pay the bills and make a living and take care of our day to day lives. And we all have to contend with um, life and death. And the fact that we are literally here for a relatively short amount of time and how we can recognize that and use that to be more uh,
1: passionate and awake about everything that we do. I want to go. I want to dive deeper into that, but I want to circle back to your time working with Google, the engineers, because I, I've been in the software world. I know what software engineers generally are like. Right? They are they are very uh, left brain. They are very logic centered. Right? Like that's the the mindset of an engineer. And you're teaching something that's so much the polar opposite of that. Talk about what that experience working with Google was like just for a little bit. And then I want to dive deeper in your other stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting. Uh, At the beginning, this is now different because the world has changed. But back then, you know, that this goes back 10, 15 years ago, when we started, we had to start with the science of meditation. So we had to appeal, you know, to the left brain, to the, to the scientific brain. But as soon as they, saw that, oh, there's, there is some pretty interesting science about the benefits of meditation and mindfulness practice, we could very easily go into what, what I think of as creating a safe space, a space where they didn't have to be so anxious and competitive. And in fact, they used to use the language that in our trainings, they could take off their game faces and, and just Just a look, you know, the combination of creating a safe space and doing some listening practice. So one of the things we would do is, you know, get with a a partner and for three minutes have one person speak and have the other person just listen. And it was like we were giving them some magic potion because they had never realized how rarely they actually listened. And and how rarely they could speak and feel like they were being heard, uh, and this was like this um, this program that we introduced uh, in, into Google kind of became massively uh, uh, successful and scaled. Everyone everyone the word spread about you could come and practice you know, listening to your own thoughts and feelings, and you could practice listening to another person and their science to back it all up. So uh, it was, um, I, I, I loved it. And it also really, um, I didn't realize how much I loved teaching and how much I loved being up in front of the room, working with these, these groups. And it,
1: so it, it transformed my life in, in that way. Beautifully said. Um, I, I'd like to ask you as well, this book that's, that you just released, Finding Clarity, what was the impetus for writing that book?
0: Yeah, I found one of the things that I do, My I think of it as my my day job right now. You know, People ask me what I do and I say, well, I think I start and grow companies, which I've done three different times. But in between, I do coaching and consulting and, and at the moment, uh, these last several years I've been in between and one of my main, uh, clients is a, a large, successful, socially responsible bank. And somehow working with them, I introduced the, uh, the language of compassionate accountability. Uh, and they completely have, uh, adopted that as the kind of culture that they want to create. A culture that is highly accountable, where there is tremendous amount of clarity, openness, effectiveness, and at the same time, a culture that is high in care and trust and compassion. And and through that work, uh, I started developing um, more and more Programs, exercises, and out of that, I thought, "There's a book here," and um, and that's where the book Find, "Finding Clarity," which is really about compassionate accountability, was
1: born and developed. I love this. So let's dive right in. And the first obvious question is, how would you define? I mean, you and you created the term, right? <laughs> how do you define compassionate accountability?
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'd start. It really the focus is really on accountability. And which is interesting because when people, that, that word has a bad reputation. People don't like, accountability sounds cold or like I'm going to be held accountable or lack of accountability. But accountability is really about, um, the, the word that I like better in a way than accountability is alignment. So holding oneself accountable is being aligned with, are your. In what way are your most uh, your deepest values and the way that you want to be showing up and living in the world, living and working in the world in all of your relationships, how aligned are you? Are you holding yourself accountable? And then a lot of accountability is about relationship and having uh, healthy relationships. You know, like what does, like in, in the workplace, are, are we clear about what success looks like and it's amazing how this is such an obvious question but one that uh, is overlooked again and again are we are we clear about what it is we're trying to accomplish and are we clear about how we're working together what the underlying assumptions are about how we how we are dealing with things like conflict how we're dealing with you know again even things like celebration and success and all of those Kind of cultural factors. Um, so it's interesting. You can see why the book is called Finding Clarity because so much of it is about driving toward clarity in how we show up and in all our relationships um, at, at work and, and at home.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, as you were describing compassionate and accountability, and I find it fascinating because I've never heard anyone frame accountability in the term of alignment, but it's very clear. That this is a way of being, being uh, accountable in a compassionate manner, and it's a way of being that you could have with your significant other. It's a way of being you could have with your children. It's a way of being with your clients, with your partners, with your employees, with your coworkers. Like it's it it really is not just a workplace thing. This is an across the board thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I'm a big fan, Dr. Richard, of this phrase way of being. You know, so even going back to like what I discovered is that uh, standing up in front of those Google engineers, the way of being that I was teaching was that uh, um, I wasn't there to prop up my own ego. I didn't even have to be the expert. I could, I could tell them when they asked me scientific questions, "I don't know. I'll have to look that up." Um, part of the way of being, too, there was uh, not avoiding pain and difficulty, not avoiding um, conflict. And, and this, I think, is turns out, I think, one of the most important parts of accountability because we humans nobody likes conflict nobody you know we don't like it and but avoiding it and pretending it isn't there is trouble so and and being able to skillfully work with conflict is part way of being and part having the skills and tools to be able to skillfully maneuver in those those waters of of disagreement and and you know disagreement and conflict can be super healthy uh, when we're not avoiding them, when we're working, working more skillfully and effectively in, in, with it.
1: Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. You've said a couple of times that you've built some exercises, you've created some tools. So people listening to this are probably nodding along and they're like, yep, I, I want to I find some clarity. I, I want to, you know, get on my journey to have this way of being of, of compassionate accountability. Give us some practical tips or strategies that, that people, if they're starting from baseline, can use here to start really uncovering some of these things about themselves and how to have that way of being.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The first, um, the titles of the first three chapters of the book, the first is be curious, not furious. Uh, The second is uh, drop the story. And the third is uh, listen for understanding. So, you know, these, I think these all sound, you know, people have heard these are, there's nothing unusual about any of these words, but as as way of being practices, I think they are phenomenally important, um, simple and profound. Right. So be curious, not furious. Right. So noticing how often we get triggered, and you know that it's you know feeling, uh, scanning for threats is something we humans do to stay alive. You know, it was when it was a uh, a Google scientist friend of mine was fond of saying. Um, That um, that we human beings, um, you know, that that the ones who were who were the ones who were chill and calm, they all got killed. As we've evolved over over millennium, it was the ones who were really good at scanning for threats that we and that we've we're highly evolved to look for the negative, to look for danger externally and also. Internally, right, we, we are our own inner voice, our own inner critic is always trying to keep us safe by by looking at, you know, are we doing anything wrong? Am I OK? And and this is all, uh, you know, important, but can be problematic. So the practice is to be curious about whatever is happening in us, to notice our own discomfort uh, to notice all of our feelings and to really, really lean into a sense of uh, a curiosity. And at the same time, this is a way of um, not getting too caught about our stories, especially our our mistaken beliefs about ourselves and especially our limiting beliefs about ourselves. I, I really appreciate it in our, as you and I were talking about, Uh, you describing the entrepreneurial things that you're doing in the world and all of the ways that you've learned from some of the, um, especially the uh, kind of life-threatening events that you've had in your past and how that has brought you, I think, to not be so caught by your story and by your um, mistaken beliefs. And you seem to be a particularly curious human being yourself.
1: I appreciate that. Um, I want to ask you a, a follow-up question because it's very interesting. You mentioned about our ability to be scanning for threats. You also mentioned things that trigger us. So on one side of the coin, when I'm hearing you describe curiosity, it sounds a lot like what people teach about mindfulness. But the other thing that I'm curious about is we're in a place societally, especially in a post-COVID world, uh, where mental health illness rates uh, and, in particular, anxiety, depression, have absolutely skyrocketed, right? And so, how do we reconcile the scanning for threats and being triggered with curiosity? because a lot of people have, whether they know it or not, have actually conditioned themselves to be triggered. And this is not a political statement. This is science-based because we have, so, all of us have surrounded ourselves with technology that puts information in front of us twenty four hours a day, essentially. For as long as we're awake and as long as we have a phone, whether it's on social media platform or push notifications, something in our environment, for most people is giving them something that may trigger them. So, how do we embrace this curiosity while not kind of overloading ourselves? With these negative things that can cause us emotional distress. Yeah.
0: Well, I, 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 I have a strong um, both bias and experience, and I think there's a lot of science to back this up. Uh, the importance of actually having a meditation practice. Uh, that man, it, it's tough out there. With right as you're saying, with the uh, how technology has influenced our lives, the pace of our lives combined with this evolutionary scanning for threats, you put all these together and we're seeing, right, the, the statistics about uh, mental health, um, depression, addiction, are, uh, trauma are uh, staggering. And I think having some way to step outside of the stream of busyness and intensity, um, this is, I think, the, the, the power, the possibility of meditation practice or you know for some people it could be journal writing or it could be spending time in nature it doesn't have to be sitting you don't have to be sitting cross-legged you could sit in a chair uh, but having some way of training the mind to be able to not be caught by the busyness and getting busier and busier and then I think it's the the aspiration and the practice of bringing that way of being into your daily life so it's not about you know, being engaged and doing a lot of things, um, that's not the problem. The problem is the state of mind and the approach that we bring into, bring into those things. So that's, to me, the, um, the beauty, the possibility, you know. So it's interesting, this uh, not avoiding the pains, not avoiding the stresses of life, but finding, uh, being curious. This is, I think, the, like... Coming back and creating a little, a little bit of space in our day, a little bit of space in our, um, you know, so that we're not caught again and again. And when we are caught, you know, it's like one of the. Um, uh, I I've brought um, Homer Simpson plays a major role actually in my book Finding Clarity because I think he's such a great example of exactly how we don't want to be in in our lives. He's the, I call him the accountability expert. Um, And, and as I was writing, you know, I I was remembering what I think of one of his famous lines that he says uh, throughout the series is, why does everything have to be so hard? And, and I call that voice, that voice is like my own inner Homer or my own inner victim. And, and it gives me just a little bit of space to be able to laugh at myself and see that, you know, making things hard is something I have to take responsibility for. Uh, you know, another great question is, how, what, what if things were easy? What if things were easy? What if things were easier instead of making it hard?
1: I love that you brought Homer Simpson into this. So a thousand bonus points for that. Um, I we we briefly touched on it, but I want to go a little deeper into drop the story. So talk to us about that and why that's so critical.
0: Yeah. You know, another, you know, I talked about the the how we've evolved to scan for threats we've also evolved as great storytellers, right? We, our brains, our brains are storytelling machines. Um, and we, we live in the story. And a lot of it, of course, it starts with the story of me, right? All, and uh, everything that we do, everything that we think, all of the uh, things that happen in our lives become part of our own our own story. I mean, things like uh, an exercise I love to do with people is tell me your story from the point of view of failure. Tell me about all of the ways that you have not met your goals, how you have failed, really get into it. But then next, tell me the story of success. Tell me about all of the things that you've done that have been successful, that have gone well. And well, which is it? You know well, it's we all have we all have many, many stories, but we it's easy to get caught by especially the story of failure or the story of stress or the story. you know, busyness is a really interesting story. And these days, you know, we often wear it like a badge of honor. you know, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm crazy, busy, as though that's a good thing. like, you know, and part of it is our, the language that we use and the ways that we get caught by this ongoing story. You know, what if, what if instead of busy, you were trying on, well, I'm engaged, I'm spacious. The practice of spaciousness, I think, is uh, really, really important these days. To see finding a sense of spaciousness right in the midst of our very uh, busy, <laughs>
1: engaging days I, I love that reframe because how many times have we told people that? oh, I'm so busy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy over here, right? And that is maladaptive. Like, that's bad. so i I very much appreciate the way you were able to give us that perspective. and that I want to clarify too about that exercise because i I hope that people do this when they turn this episode off uh, because it's such an interesting thing to do. So we, effectively you take people through this exercise where they, are they journaling all of the successes and failures in their personal lives and their professional lives and whatever area they want? Like, how do you really guide people's best to do that exercise?
0: Yeah, there's a few different ways to do it. One one is just to simply journal with, you know, the prompt, um, you know, success in my life looks like, and then just write or failure in my life looks like. Another way that I do it, which is interesting, is to do a timeline. So to get a piece of paper and start with the year you were born and like every, you know, five or 10 years, put put the year across the bottom of a page. And then you can put little points as to the, the low lights, the difficult things on, on that page. And then above it, you can put the highlights, the things that have gone well, and just kind of as a way of... Mapping out and looking at the high points and low points of your life, and what people what people notice when you do this is that the really the really the low points, the difficult things, in a way, have a turn out to also be the high points because we learn we learn so much even from those really difficult things, the the losses, the the whether it's the divorces, the deaths. Yes, those things are immensely painful and difficult. Or you talked about in your in your background, you know, uh, um, you know the issue you had with your spine as a as a young person, and how that has brought you alive in ways today. So it's interesting the 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 pain and possibility. You know, I think I think there's something about really leaning in to pain and difficulty and loss. And at the same time, really leaning in to possibility and joy and celebration and and again, there's something about uh I think often a lot of us think that we need to be in this kind of middle ground where we're not fully feeling, where we're not fully open to the the pains and possibilities of our lives beautifully
1: said mark uh, i I think this chapter. Listen for understanding is so important in a world where we are often so divided. So take us into a deep dive into this chapter. Yeah, I think that the, again, you know, we we hear
0: things like listen and, and understanding and it's like, yeah, yeah, I do that. But no, it's like, just stop and reflect on the power of really listening and the power of actually listening for understanding. You know, as I as I said earlier, in these uh, three minute exercises that we did with Google engineers, and now I've d- I, it's funny. My my son says that um, what I do for a living is I get people into pairs and have them listen to each other, and it's like yeah, that is uh, that is a big part of what I do. There's something about um, not just I mean it's interesting in these workshops, it's practicing listening. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, that I'm thinking of is, um, you know, when I do a two day workshop, at the end of day one, I will say to people, when you go home tonight, um, and your your partner comes to you with some problem or issues or they're stressed, try just listening, uh, instead of going right into problem solving, and invariably on day two. Uh, People come back, especially men, but sometimes women also say, my partner said, what happened to you? You know, were you taken over by some alien? Uh, Just because there's a, we get into the, we get into the habit of not listening, of, of problem solving. We get into the habit of kind of this fight or flight mode where we're either, we're either moving in or backing away. Listening is a kind of creating a a neutral ground, creating a very intentional ground where we can just be, again, it's a radical kind of curiosity. Uh, Would you like me to just listen or would you like me to problem solve? Sometimes we really just need, we just need a good
1: listening to. I love it. Mark, this interview has been so fantastic. I knew that it would be. Uh, As you know, I like to wrap up every episode by asking my guest a single question, and I can't wait to hear your answer. That question is, what is your biggest helping? That one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today.
0: Yeah, I think that our, um, you know, it's a little bit like the, that We're all business people and we're all Zen students, which is another way of saying way of being is to live a very uh, ordinary and effective life and at the same time realize that everything we do is also sacred. I like the word sacred. There's actually some interesting science happening now about studying the importance of having a sacred experience and, and again, sacred to me, I think, is uh, one way to think of it is that it, to, rise, to rise above and beyond, you know, the, the, the ordinary stories uh, that we get caught in and to see from a much larger uh, perspective, the sense of uh, acceptance, joy, beauty, uh, right in the midst of the day-to-day world of paying the bills and taking care of our children and working bringing us to that that they're not they're, they're they're like two sides of the same coin
1: the ordinary and the sacred. I love it. Mark this has been so fantastic. Tell us where people can learn more about you and get their hands on finding clarity which is available everywhere now.
0: Yeah, they can uh, learn about me uh marklesser.net m a r c l e s s e r.net lots of uh, writing guided meditations and um yeah try and make my my work as valuable and accessible as possible.
1: Beautiful. And I presume we can get the book there as well. Yes? Yes, of course. And Wonderful. I, I said, and anywhere books are sold, Finding Clarity. Terrific. We will have, of course, everything Mark Lesser linked in the show notes at the dailyhelping.com. Mark, I have loved our conversation today. This has been such a treat. Thank you so much for coming on The Daily Helping. Thank you, Dr. Richard. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And to each and every one of you who took time out of your day, thank you as well. If you like what you heard, if you found this illuminating, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a follow and leave us a five-star review because that is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are. and Post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.